Hey, all my friends, what is going on with you? I guess if you're listening to this right now, I know that you're listening to the Everyday Missionary Podcast, which thank you for listening. Again, I'm trying to be real faithful to week in, week out, show up and do this for 2024. That is my attempted commitment to you. I don't want to be like a politician that's making promises he can't deliver on, but that's going to be my goal every week, 2024, making sure that we're making time to do the Everyday Missionary Podcast, and today is episode 289. Now, I kind of had in my little series of notes a number of different things to talk about today, so I was like juggling, like, oh, don't do this, don't do that, all this stuff's on my mind, but then I realized, man, what I should do is get like, uh, I don't know, like a reboot on something I I attempted to do on Sunday that I ran out of time to do well. And so here's the backstory. Um, Typically, when I put together a talk for Sunday mornings, uh, like I do all this study, I like let it all kind of just like cook in the brain and the heart, right? So it's just like simmering all week, like I'm a chef now, like a Michelin chef. And uh, I'm letting it all kind of just simmer in there. And then uh, toward the end of the week, when I kind of put together my PowerPoint and stuff like that, I go, okay, this is going to be the roadmap. I'm going to hit this, 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 and this. I'm going to try to stay on this path as best as I can, not get off the path. That's the goal. And when I do that, I usually know how much time that's going to take. And so I went into this Sunday thinking like, I've got plenty of runway. I'll get the plane off the ground. There'll still be room to spare. It's going to be fine. That's not how it worked out. So in the end, ended up going longer than anticipated. And when I got to my final point, I had all this stuff that I wanted to talk about. And I'm like, I don't have the time to talk about any of it. Ah, right. So uh, I just had to like blaze through it really quick and a jet, just kind of eject, right? Jettison from the thing. And that was it. But I'm like, oh, wait. I have a podcast. I can do like a 2.0 version of this. And at least it's like two birds, one stone get to do the podcast. And I get to do a topic that was kind of near and dear to me. And I can just accomplish that with that task. If I can spit those words out. So anyway, that is kind of what I'm doing today. I'm rolling back around to the chunk of Deuteronomy that warns about like true prophets and false prophets. And here's what I want to preface that with today. Um, when, when Moses gives that, uh, there is the reality, the part of the architecture behind what he's stating there is the notion of a prophet that would have the skill set and supernatural ability to foresee the future. And then if that foreseen thing didn't happen, when as they stated it would happen, Moses is like, have nothing to do with them, get rid of them, don't listen to them as a prophet. That's the goal. Um, and I, I, I think for the most part, while I'm kind of uh, in that camp of I'm not a cessationist, which means I still think these spiritual gifts of the Holy Spirit are alive and well today, and I think the gift of prophecy in the New Testament was radically different than the Old Testament model, and therefore the New Testament doesn't have the same constraints as the Old Testament model. That's a different talk for a different day, at least I think. Maybe I'll get into it at some point. Um But when Moses says that, I go, kind of the statute behind that is pretty tough for us to execute in a one-to-one kind of formula. So, you know, it's not very often that we're going to have people in our life that are like, prophetic people that are giving us a prophecy of a short-term thing that we can measure and see if they're liars or truth tellers like that would be tough so what i've kind of tried to do throughout deuteronomy is to say what are ways that we can port these ideas into our current 24 21st century world and see the principles there within because again part of this that we sometimes forget is we almost kind of like take the whole bible and we just shove it in a blender and just puree it and be like this is all for us and we forget 
that actually it was for them and we got to understand what it meant for them and then we can understand it for us and it may not be exactly the same and I think very much that's the case with Deuteronomy for a bazillion different reasons. I think there is a general wisdom to be gained but I don't think we're going to do a great job of just again porting over every command, every idea, everything into the 21st century and it would work seamlessly. I actually think it would be a giant uh, step backwards for Christianity and humanity if we wanted to do that, right? But we go, what are the principles that we can gain in some of this context, right? And so with that, I was wanting to talk about the fact that what I think being an astute and um, wise follower of Jesus, what it requires is sensitivity. It requires wisdom. It requires a sense of discernment when you're interacting with the sources that are claiming statements about truth, whether it's sources that in their mind, they're elevating it, whether it's other sources that are kind of reducing it, you know, how do we have a discernment in our current world to know when something is properly reflecting God and his word to us and and times where it is either watering it down or amping it up? Because I think that's the heart behind this whole thing to go, both are equally dangerous, right? There can be a particular nature to things that is just as bad as kind of a reduction concept. Concept. And so that was kind of where I was wanting to get to to say, um, when you look at Deuteronomy, for example, there is a dual warning about prophets. And, and he says, sometimes they're going to actually get things right, but their motive is going to be wrong. So in other words, they're going to have a proper dream or a proper vision, but they're going to want to then turn you away from the true God of Israel. That's one warning that's given. But then the other warning is, hey, they're going to say stuff and it never comes true. And you got to be warned of those ones as well. So both ends of the equation are going to be the risk. And I think today where I would say that's true is that you have some individuals that basically want to say nothing about what God's revealed us can be true and therefore dismantle it all, just deconstruct out, call it done. The other variation, though, is so particular and so certain that their view of this is the view. They discount all other views. And in discounting all other views, they also tend to discount very uh, clear, though, counter passages to their position. So, for example, uh, you know, I I had a history back in the day that was very, very Calvinistic. And in that world, I can tell you pretty point blank that as many verses as were used to build the Calvinist case, you would just ignore the ones that work against it. You know, so you'd be like, I'm going to negotiate with the text and I'm going to decide that these verses kind of trump these verses. So these are the right verses. Those verses have to serve these verses somehow. And we come up with this some cockamamie weird formula ratio system to figure out how all of the Arminian verses are all subservient to the Calvinist verses. Therefore, the Calvinist verses win. That's kind of the way it would happen. And then what would happen is it would be like Calvinism's the only true way. And if you're an Arminian, you believe a lie. If you're an Arminian, you don't have a high view of God. If you're an Arminian, you're too soft hearted. If you're an Arminian, you don't see the sovereignty factor as more important than the free will factor. And it turned into we're more right, you're wrong. And from that, it was saying, I'm going to narrow the scope of truth to my view of truth, and I'm going to make my view of truth the only view of truth, even though it means I have to deny a bunch of other things in the Bible to make that happen. And I think, weirdly enough, that is another way to deny the truth, that you are so certain and so myopic and so tiny and what can be real and our systematic theology can be the only true systematic theology that pretty soon it's like 
Um, I'm discounting all kinds of other biblical truths, Christian truths, traditional truths, orthodox truths to just simply validate my narrow vision of what I consider to be the truth. And so in a strange sort of way, when Jesus says, be wise as a serpent and gentle as a dove, I love this because he says there's some place that we're supposed to navigate between being kind of like cynical on this side and gullible on that side, right? Or critical on this side and just kind of easily swayed on that side. Like he's like, no, I want you to be right in the middle of that space, which means you can't just say I'm going hard this way or hard that way. I need to approach everything as having like wisdom, thoughtfulness, prayerfulness, consideration, weighing the side understanding the stuff, seeing the beauty in it, seeing the risk in it, seeing the reward in it, seeing the danger in it, doing all of those kinds of things. And then from that, doing your best to then go, what do I think God is trying to communicate to me in this stuff? Right. And I get that that's hard. And that's probably the thing that I want to encourage is go. Yes, it's hard. I think the other thing in this that I find so much in my own life, having been in different camps of this debate at times throughout my 30 years of kind of pastoral ministry and Christian life is, um, you know, I, I, I think when when things are stated as absolute what I tend to find is that there's usually pride associated with that. You know, I was having a conversation with somebody one time and one of the phrases I use a lot in my life is I know less than half of everything. And this person said, you know, I don't like it when you use that statement. I don't think that's a very good statement. I said, really, you know, I'm curious why you, you don't like it. And they said, well, you know what? I don't know everything about like, I don't know, brain surgery or rocket science. They're like, but I study the Bible a lot. And I would like to think that I know more than half of everything in the Bible. And I remember this was just where our conversation broke down because I don't know if you're watching, right? But behind me is a lot of books and there's way more books behind me than you can even see in the shot. And so I've spent years studying the Bible and, and, and different outlets of Christian tradition and thought and belief system and structure and background and everything else. And after 30 years of studying the Bible, I know less today than I did when I started. And the reason is, is because when I started, my 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 vision of what was true and accurate and right and airtight was just a tiny little bullseye on the infinite board of who God is, right? So I was so arrogant to think that my perfect Calvinist, evangelical, Western, white, you know, just non-denominational, like you're crushing the circle down, right? That that meant I knew more than half of everything in all of Christian history, more than half of everything in all of Jewish history, more than half of everything on all of the ways that people have wrestled with the words of God for 3000 years now. Technically, if we say, all right, from the time of Moses, this is when we're finally having like pen hit paper. Things are getting written down. People are debating this stuff for 3000 years. There has been every conceivable interpretive model. There has been all sorts of angles on this. There has been countless debates. There's been wars over these things, right? There has been cultural divide. Families are split up. You name it. And to think that I have the hubris to know more than half of everything in the realm of the Bible and God's word to us, I just go... Man, you got the decodering, as my wife likes to say. Uh, you're awesome, because the rest of us, we probably shouldn't be so proud as I think we got that figured out, right? And I think that's still the thing. Uh, I think it's still trying to come to the text humbly 
and teachably and wisely and say, I want to do my best to understand this. I want to be pliable in this, but not so pliable. I easily bend to every whim, every thought, every idea. But in that, as I run across things, I want to look with such a clarity of heart and mind and desire that even inside something that there may be like F minus statements, you might see some A plus concepts and absorb the A plus concepts and ditch the F minus thoughts, right? Like it's having that kind of discernment because I find today more and more there's kind of almost an all or none approach to the teachers that we revere or the outlets that we read or listen to or watch or whatever else where we go, those are the good ones, those are the bad ones. And we never think that there'd be some good stuff in the bad things and there might be some bad stuff in the good things because we're all human again. I think that's the most important thing to think about here. We're all incredibly human. So we can't just simply say, you know what, I trust everything that gets published from the Southern Baptist and I disregard everything that gets published from the Roman Catholic Church. You know, it's like going, you know what? There's some really beautiful, good stuff that comes out of Roman Catholic thought. And there's some really toxic stuff that comes out of the Southern Baptist ranks. Even though I think fundamentally, most of us as evangelicals kind of in the conservative realm of the Christian experience in the United States, you might as well call yourself a Southern Baptist. It's kind of what you are. Um, But you know what? Even though that's our space, you know what? We don't have this thing totally nailed. We're not airtight. We don't have it all figured out. And that's why, again, I go back to this idea of humility, generosity, thoughtfulness, not being too gullible, but not being too critical. Because I do find in that space, and I'm probably harping a little bit more on the critical side today, but I do find in that space, there is so much negotiation with text to to make it systemized or systematized that in that process, you really do have to act as a surgeon or better yet, I'm going to say an editor, right? So there is an editorial process required in systematic theology where you are saying, ah, I got that verse, but it's problematic to this overall systematic structure that I believe I'm going to cut that out kind of. Now, we don't say cut it out because it's all scripture, right? But we tend to then just go, I'm going to give that lesser voice. I'm going to put that to the back end. Or I'm going to say that the only way that verse works is in light of this other verse that I've decided is a better, bigger, bolder verse than this verse that throws off my system. And that's why I'm a fan of Bible scholarship more than systematic theology or theology work, right? So that's why I'm more of a Bible dude, less of a theology dude is because again, I just don't like the idea that I have to act as an editor to make things fit. And especially when God decided to give us something that's really, really just messy and challenging and confusing and everything else. Like even right now, as I'm preparing this week for Deuteronomy, I'm in a section from chapter 19 to chapter 26 that has about 50 different regulations, right? Kind of social laws. And some of those are gut-wrenching. They're like gut-wrenching. Like if you were to try to put those commands on the lips of Jesus, you would be really, really troubled, you know? And I would rather be like, hey, let's let let the troubling thing sit there uh, instead of how do we like slice and dice and everything else. And then from that, you know, we're, we're, we're creating a thing that just makes me feel more comfortable and totally right. And I totally get it. And I can make no fault here. And missing the fact that God's like, uh, but maybe I gave that for reasons beyond you just trying to figure out how to make it fit. Maybe I gave it for reasons for you to be troubled, to be bothered, to question, is that the right ethical imperative in the world today? Maybe maybe we should process these things at different levels. And that's, again, why I go back to the heart behind what God wants his people to have is ultimately wisdom, wisdom and discernment. And in that humility and dependency, right, where we're like, all right, God. 
I don't want to pretend like I know most of half of everything or the majority of half of everything or I know everything of everything. I know less than half of everything, especially your word, which is rich and deep and vast and foreign and ambiguous and strange and confusing and troubling and exciting and all of that stuff together. See, I look at that and I go, what that does. And I think even what we do when we approach the Bible, we're trying to discern, you know, truth from error and right from wrong and false prophets from true prophets and everything else is again, just saying, God, I need your guidance and help. God, I need your wisdom and insight. God, I need a non-reflexive uh, attitude. I need a stop and ponder and process and chew and think and meditate and wonder and doubt and embrace and like all of that stuff in there, right? It's like a, like almost we, we treat our, our pursuit of truth as a journey in many ways, more than we t- treat it as like an academic class where we go, this is what it says, this is what I believe, and it's all settled in five minutes, you know? It's like you keep coming back to it and you keep processing more. And I don't think that that is riskier. I think that's wiser. I really do. I think some people are like, no, if you if you leave your mind open for everything, you will never close your mind on anything. And I'm like, but maybe that's partly healthy. Like there's certain things that I go, there's certain in my thinking, you know, the person of Jesus coming into the world, uh, he's God, comes in the person of Jesus, lives, dies, rises, teaches us how to live, gives us an example, is the one that deals with their sin, brings us into right relationship with God so that we can be in right relationship with others. That is what righteousness is all about. It's about right relationship with others and with God. Like he he's the means by which we do that. But as we journey through the scripture then, and we're trying to figure out what it says to us and how it applies to us and how other people are teaching it to us and how we discern all of that. I think anybody that says, you know what, we want to elevate the scripture and in elevating it, we understand we know less than half of everything about it. So there's a humility as we journey into it so we can learn from it. I think that's a healthy and safe space to be where you're not reducing it And you're not elevating just some parts of it as you reduce other parts of it, but you're letting all of it kind of team with life, right? And then you just keep kind of diving into those waters as it teams with life. And every time you do, you're going to see something new. Every time you do, you're going to experience something kind of radical that you didn't see before. Every time you do, it may move the needle in your mind on kind of how you've understood these dynamics between God and us and gospel and kingdom and grace and all of those things. Like that's the space to be in. Right. That's how we discern. That's how we grow in wisdom. And when we do that, when we wrestle at that level, then it's a little bit easier to figure out, man, how do I live this out in the real world? How do I apply these things to the problems of my life or the lives of others? Because, again, what you're operating off of, again, is a grid of insight. uh, And it's not just like I have a path of precision here. It's like, no, everything is nuanced. And I want to bring the, the beauty of God to the nuanced problems of life to be as wise as I can to help create as beautiful a solution I can to the different situations that occur. And see, I think if we're thinking that way and we're always trying to be in that pliable space, teachable by God, teachable by his word, humble enough to not be too gullible and too particular, but kind of hitting that sweet spot of wisdom. The more we do that, well, my friends, the more we will be wise and useful everyday missionaries.